This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Healthy vs. Toxic, the podcast where licensed mental health professionals explore what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy or even abusive, all from a scientifically informed perspective. Hello, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks, how does somebody make the decision to stay in a relationship with a narcissist or to leave that relationship? This decision is referred to as the stay-leave decision. And of course, it applies to a number of different types of relationships. But again, here I'm talking about a relationship with a narcissist. So this question is also asking kind of what factors go into that decision. And of course, we know there are a number of factors operating. The perceived level of narcissism. And the reason I say perceived is because a relationship with a narcissist involves a lot of manipulation. We see access to resources, personality, culture, pressure from friends or relatives, attachment style, the quantity and quality of alternatives to the relationship, and the type of harm occurring in the relationship. There are also a number of other factors as well. Now, we don't see a lot of research directly on this topic, so specifically looking at a person in a relationship with a narcissist, but we do see a lot of research on intimate partner violence. I'll refer to this as IPV. There's quite a bit of overlap between the harm that the narcissist causes in a relationship and the kind of harm we see with IPV. So some of the findings in the research literature can be applicable to a relationship with a narcissist. Now, of course, there are some differences too. In the way I'm conceptualizing the relationship with the narcissist for this video, the harm is limited to the emotional domain, putting somebody down, manipulating, deceiving, behavior like that. Of course, in real life, a narcissist can cause physical harm as well. Another major difference in the research on IPV is that it tends to be focused on female victims and male perpetrators, which of course isn't always the case with IPV, and it isn't always the case when somebody is in a relationship with a narcissist. So when trying to predict a victim's leaving intentions and behaviors, there are two models that are fairly popular in the research literature the investment model, and the theory of planned behavior. So with the investment model, this model asserts that relationship continuation is positively correlated with relationship commitment. So if somebody's very committed to a relationship, they tend to stay in that relationship. That makes sense. That's fairly straightforward. Now, the construct of commitment includes factors like feelings of attachment and intentions to maintain the relationship. This commitment is a function of relationship investment. What type of resources are connected to that relationship? How much has the person already put into the relationship in terms of emotions, energy, money, time? A lot of different factors, a lot of different ideas can be invested. Now, we also see relationship satisfaction as part of commitment. How does the person evaluate the relationship? This, of course, is about perception. Somebody may be satisfied with a relationship, even if it seems like they shouldn't be satisfied with that relationship 
from the perception of an outside observer. Commitment is also a function of the perception of having few alternatives. So how attractive are the alternatives? Now an important note here, the alternatives are not just other people, like other potential romantic partners. Another alternative that may or may not be attractive would be the absence of a romantic relationship. So how comfortable is somebody with being alone, at least alone, again, romantically speaking? The other model is the theory of planned behavior. And this model asserts that a person's intention to use a behavior is the best predictor of an individual engaging in that behavior. Like the other model, this seems fairly straightforward. If somebody intends to leave a relationship with a narcissist, that would predict they're going to leave that relationship. Intention, in this model, is a function of a person's attitude toward the behavior. So what if somebody had the idea that leaving a partner is disgusting, right? They're revolted by the idea of leaving a relationship. They have this attitude that leaving is bad under any set of circumstances. This would certainly affect their level of intent. Intention is also a function of the subjective norms toward the behavior, like social pressure, and a function of the person's perception of their own control over the behavior. Do they think it's going to be easy, difficult? What have they learned from their past experiences? Have they ever tried to leave a relationship before? Did that turn out well? Did it turn out poorly? Do they anticipate obstacles when they try to leave? Or do they anticipate encouragement and support? Well, a lot of people come forward and say, I'll help you get out of this relationship. So between the investment model and the theory of planned behavior, we actually see more support for the theory of planned behavior, the one wrapped up with intentions. It seems to be a better fit with the outcomes of the stay-leave decision. The most significant predictors from this model would be the attitude toward leaving one's partner and the social pressure. So these factors become important as we take a closer look at the narcissism side of this. So as I mentioned before, a lot of this information comes from research on IPV. And it's clear there are several similarities between IPV and relationships with narcissists. They're actually frighteningly similar. But how is the stay-leave decision different for somebody in a relationship with a narcissist? What are the differences between IPV and narcissism exposure? Well, there are several differences. I'm going to go over three key differences here. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, 
parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. The first one that really stands out is how obvious IPV is when compared to narcissism exposure. Most people who are on the receiving end of some sort of physical harm can accurately describe that behavior. Now, of course, not all IPV contains physical harm, but just assuming that much of it does, I can kind of illustrate this difference. Someone who experiences IPV knows that it happened. They may still decide to stay in that relationship, but they can accurately describe the actual events. If somebody was watching the relationship from the outside and saw a circumstance related to IPV, their perception and the perception of the victim would be somewhat similar. One of the main difficulties with narcissism exposure is that many people don't realize it's happening. There's not a lot of education available about narcissism exposure. For example, we don't see public mental health campaigns talking about narcissism, even though narcissism, of course, is extremely destructive. A person who has been the victim of narcissism exposure may think that the harmful behavior directed toward them is somehow their fault. This is actually one of the key types of manipulation used by the narcissist. It's referred to as gaslighting. An analogy I can use here is the robber and the victim, right? So let's say that there's a robber who's trying to get money from a victim. So IPV is like the robber who walks up, brandishes a weapon, and forces a victim to hand over money. They use very clear fear and intimidation. Somebody's afraid they're going to be physically harmed. Now, victims, of course, would not be happy about this, but they might tolerate it. They might not call the police, but either way, they know that the money was stolen. With narcissism exposure, the same robbery takes place, but the victim feels grateful to have been able to give money to the robber. Maybe they believe that the money really belongs to the robber in the first place, the robber needs the money more than they need the money. They might believe that they are a bad person. So giving it to the robber is actually good because the robber can do something good with the money. Whatever the manipulation was, they feel honored to give the money over. And in some cases, we'll go home and get more money after the robbery, go find the robber and give it to them. All the while apologizing for taking so long to transfer the money to the robber. So the victim doesn't realize the money was stolen they realize the money is gone. And those are two very different perspectives. So the first robber is simple and unsophisticated, while the second knows how to exploit people interpersonally, a key feature of narcissism. It's important to never underestimate the power of narcissistic manipulation. The second difference with narcissism exposure is that the narcissist makes an effort to recruit people to their side. These people are often called flying monkeys, a reference to the Wizard of Oz. Now, a perpetrator of IPV may do this just like they may also manipulate, but it's strongly associated with narcissism. These recruits can be parents, in-laws, neighbors, friends, co-workers, a number of different people. So this can really change that social pressure part. And again, that's a key factor in predicting the outcome of the stay-leave decision. The third difference is the idea that IPV sometimes leaves some sort of visible wound. Narcissism exposure doesn't. 
it operates at an emotional level, so it becomes more difficult to convince people that the harm is really taking place. Not just the flying monkeys, of course, they will generally be hard to convince, but even people that might be inclined to be sympathetic may not be convinced by the evidence we see of narcissistic harm. This just makes it that much more difficult to obtain support. It's easy for people to dismiss manipulation and say something like, all people are narcissistic, or you're just experiencing the ups and downs of a relationship, or something like, your partner isn't special, which is ironic because the narcissist certainly believes that they are special. So considering all this, it makes sense that the stay-leave decision is difficult when somebody is in a relationship with a narcissist. Often what I see in these instances is ambivalence. And ambivalence means that somebody has strong feelings in two directions. So with a relationship with a narcissist, this could be called kind of a love-hate situation. This ambivalence causes a kind of decision-making paralysis, a constant internal discussion of here are the pros and here are the cons, but one side doesn't really gain an advantage over the other. And with no progress, usually in this type of situation, the status quo will be maintained. So the current state of the relationship will stay in place. So the person remains in the relationship. They don't make the decision to leave. The lower the ambivalence, the easier it is to make a decision. Because without ambivalence, all the feelings are moving in the same direction, whether they're moving toward staying or leaving. And this is why I think one of the key steps in trying to navigate this decision is to seek counseling around the ambivalence. A lot of counselors are experienced in working with ambivalence because ambivalence is something we also see when treating substance use disorder. A lot of the same theories that apply to using substances apply to a relationship with a narcissist. So when ambivalence is high, if it stays high, again, it's really hard to make any type of definitive decision. So again, counselors can assist with a lot of different areas, including navigating this tough relational decision. It's not always clear as to what decision makes more sense. It's not always that leaving is good or staying is good. It really makes sense to get advice from a licensed professional to help figure out these individual situations, right? The circumstances surrounding any particular person's relationship with a narcissist. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The producers for this show are Christopher Breitigan and Madison Linden. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. For more content, please visit our website at arslanga.media. To leave feedback or suggestions, send an email to info at arslanga.media. To find more content from Dr. Grande, including a link to his YouTube channel and his other Ars Longa podcasts, visit our website at arslanga.media. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical or mental health advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, 
we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.